All right. Well, this morning's lesson uh, is titled, The Most Important Question, Who is Jesus? Uh, we're going to, still looking at church history, um, but sort of setting up for what Bob's going to be talking about next week. So, liar, lord, lunatic, or legend? God, man, or both? Risen, or still in the grave? From the doubting of Thomas all throughout church history, no topic that has been questioned is more crucial than the truth about Jesus of Nazareth. Debate about his deity and his humanity has split many churches, many people away from the church. Uh, It's resulted in many different cults and heresies. Uh, The answer to the identity of Jesus Christ is foundational to salvation. It's the central theme of all of scripture. Uh, Last time that I taught, we looked at the Muslims and we saw that they acknowledged Jesus as a historic figure. Uh, They think he was a good man, even a prophet from God, but not God himself. Orthodox Jews, again, acknowledge him as a historic figure, but reject him as their long-awaited Messiah, whom they are still looking for. Mormons really have it confused. We'll get to them someday when we get to that point in history, but... Uh, A summary, they believe Jesus, along with his brother Lucifer, are the spiritual offspring of Heavenly Father and a being they call Heavenly Mother. When mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, Jesus proposed a better plan for redemption than Lucifer did, and in doing so, he earned the title of Messiah. I kind of wonder what Lucifer's plan was. Uh, Because of his work in redemption, which Mormons teach was accomplished in the Garden of Gethsemane, not on the cross, Jesus was exalted to the position of God, with a little g, just as all good Mormons aspire to. Next week, Bob will be teaching on the biblical doctrine of Jesus, the person and work. Uh, And so this week, I want to prepare us for that by looking at the historical debate uh, surrounding his deity and the implications of that truth. So we've talked about a lot of this sort of in brief many years ago when we went through these periods of history, um, but hopefully we'll fill in a lot of detail today. So we'll start back in the second century. Uh, One of the most preserved authors from that time for the church um, was a man named Origen, or Origenes, however they pronounced it. Uh, He was a very studious Christian, even as a child. He was very interested in the faith, was always wanting to learn, wanting to know more. Uh, And he longed to follow in his father's footsteps. His father, Leonides, uh, was martyred in AD 202 under the persecution of the emperor Diocletian. Um, So, I mean, even as a kid, he wanted to be martyred like his dad. He wanted to be found that faithful. Uh, His desire to be martyred would be fulfilled in A.D. 250. He was arrested, imprisoned, and tortured for the next five years, uh, eventually dying from his injuries in A.D. 254. During his life, the philosophy of Plato was very popular. Um, Plato had written earlier, back in B.C. time, but it was seeing a revival amongst the, the people in the 200s. Um, And so for Origen, a lot of what he wrote was debating those philosophies and writing against how it was trying to seep into the church. Um, But for us, looking back, we see that unfortunately even his own understanding of biblical doctrine was tainted by the philosophies of Plato. 
one such understanding that he got wrong uh, that was influenced by Plato's philosophy was that he thought Jesus was less divine than God the Father. Uh, he believed, and this came from the, the Plato belief, that all all humans, all spiritual beings, you know, human souls, angels, etc., demons, um, were eternal in that they had been created before the creation of time. So they still had a beginning, but it happened before time, therefore you were eternal. Um, and that included Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so while all, all other uh, spiritual beings were created by God out of nothing, he believed that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were created out of the essence of God. Um, but because they were from God, but not, not original fully God, they were less divine, less God. Uh, he thought Jesus was, you know, one step below God, and the Holy Spirit was even one step below Jesus. Uh, his teachings on this, and, and many of his other teachings, were foundational in fleshing out what the Eastern Church believed, and still believes in many cases. Um, and his teachings would be referenced uh, in defense of both sides during the Nicene Creed, uh, sorry, Creed Council of Nicaea uh, in the 4th century. Um, something I thought was interesting, you know, it sounds so horrible what he's teaching, but he was actually closer to the truth than what he was defending against, which was called the Sabellian heresy, um, which was really popular at that time, which taught that God the Father and Jesus were the same person. There wasn't a trinity, there was just one, one God being who changed roles, put on different hats at different times. Now I'm going to be God. Oh, now I'll go be Jesus on earth. So now I'm... So he was saying, no, no, there, there are multiple. But then he got wrong how the multiple came to be. Um, so Origen rightly understood from the scripture that they are distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and they are one in essence. So we'll jump now to the 4th century A.D., um, again, we've talked about this before. The first ecumenical council, also known as the Council of Nicaea, uh, which addressed the Arian controversy. Uh, and we're going to look especially at the defense um, that Athanasius would take following that um, council and could spend really his whole life continuing to defend. Uh, so the Arian controversy began in Alexandria, Egypt in AD 318, when a preacher from Libya named Arius began to teach that only God the Father was divine. Sounds a little bit like what Origen was saying, but not, not quite the same. So he said that Jesus had been created by God at the beginning of time, so not before time, but that at the start of time, God made Jesus first. And then through Jesus, he made all of the rest of creation. Uh, he really, he got this out of 1 John 1, 3, which teaches that um, through him, referring to Jesus or the word, all things were made that have been made. So to Arius, okay, that's scriptural, Jesus first, and then everything else through him. Uh, Arius came to these conclusions because, uh, just like Muhammad, he thought that Jesus could not be God because there is only one God. So he had a little bit of the Sabellian kind of heresy idea going on too. So he thought if Jesus and also the Holy Spirit were also God, then that would be polytheism. Now we have three gods, he thought. 
uh, kind of funny, in order to spread his new teaching, which was initially not popular, uh, first around Alexandria where he was teaching it, and then it, from there it spread throughout most of the Mediterranean, uh, he put his ideas into these catchy little jingles and songs and things. And he had groups of little choirs roam around the city singing his theology. <laughs> it was very effective. In fact, it was so effective that the Orthodox Church in Constantinople began to employ the same method to counter him. So they put out, no, this is true doctrine, and they had their little choirs singing their catchy little songs. And it actually sometimes resulted in these little singing street battles between choir groups. <laughs> I'm not sure how effective that was at evangelizing the non-believers, but uh, it would have been an interesting street battle to witness. Dance fight. Yeah, dance fight. Flash bobs. <laughs> yes, the original battle of the bands. <laughs> All right, so Arius uh, was deposed from the church in Alexandria in AD 320. Um, so it's not, he wasn't excommunicated or things like that. It was just like a church discipline, okay, you're out. Uh, and his teaching was declared to be heresy. He then moved to Palestine and began to surround himself with others who had embraced his ideas. Uh, one of the reasons that his teachings were so readily accepted was because they were very similar to what Origen had taught, and a lot of the church still wasn't sure what of Origen's teachings were right and what was wrong. Uh, but at the same time, Arius's teachings were distinctly different than Origen's, and so people were a little confused about what to do with that. And so it really began to sow dissension uh, among the church, uh, and that bothered somebody with the authority to do something about it, and that was the Emperor Constantine, uh, emperor who claimed to be a Christian, who saw himself as uh, an important leader who should influence the church. Uh, and so he summoned this first ecumenical council in Nicaea in AD 325 in order to settle the dispute uh, about the teachings of Arius and to hopefully reunify the church. I think of all the historical events to be, you know, a fly on the wall, it would have been really interesting to be at this council. Uh, it was attended by over 300 bishops, along with numerous other believers. A bishop was like a pastor, so 300 pastors plus a lot of their congregations, and was overseen by the Emperor Constantine, uh, who arrived with a great deal of pomp. He was all arrayed and fancy and made a big show of it, of course, like any emperor would. Uh, and there was a lot of probably really good debate that took place there concerning a major heresy in the church. Uh, I, I think it was probably very interesting. Uh, the result of the council, um, particularly because of the decision of Constantine, who made himself sort of the, the judge over it, uh, was the creation of what we call the Nicene Creed, a statement of beliefs. Uh, and it goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, only begotten, that is, from the essence of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence as the Father, through whom all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, who for us human beings and for our salvation came down and was incarnate, was made man, 
suffered and rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, don't forget that part, right? <laughs> kind of feels like they did, almost. <laughs> you can see they were really focused on this begotten, of the same essence as God, aspects of who Jesus was. So everyone present at the council was required to sign the creed in acknowledgement that they accepted this statement of beliefs. Uh, and impressively, interestingly, it was only Arius and two of his followers that refused to sign the creed. All the rest of his followers caved, if you will, uh, or recanted, if you want to look at it in a good light. Uh, but Arius and those two followers were anathematized, which is like excommunication, but considered more serious and more permanent, although it still isn't permanent, but more permanent. Uh, and then to top it off, the emperor sent them into exile. So kicked out of the church and kicked out of society. No. What? <laughs> sure. This, what you just read, the creed that they had, that sounds very similar to the Apostles' Creed. To the Apostles' Creed, creed yeah. Uh, maybe not in the same order, but it sounds like they were covering the same basis. Unless I'm missing something. No, I agree. It sounded very similar. I think they fleshed it out to try to clarify the, uh, the well, this issue. Jesus being created or begotten or... Yeah. yeah. Okay. I had a question, too. That concept of being anathematized. Yeah. Does that, does that kind of come from where it says in the Bible, uh, whatever you find on earth shall be bound in heaven whenever you lose them, or shall be loose in heaven, or uh, if you forgive, it is forgiven, if you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld, and Jesus was speaking to the apostles. I believe so. I, I think excommunication also comes from that same idea. Okay. Um, maybe more so excommunication, I think, is tied to church discipline, being removed from the church, whereas anathematized sort of fits that the... Uh, yeah. I think anathematized is a pretty heavy duty. Kind of, yeah. It was, it was, it was a beyond church discipline. Right. Okay. It was declaring them a curse like a Yes. All right. So it seemed like the council was successful. They got this creed. Um, almost everybody there agreed to it. You'd think, good, controversy resolved. Let's restore unity to the church. Uh, unfortunately, instead of having two groups battling following the creed, uh, the church sort of split into three groups. There were still Arians, there were now the Nicenes, those who held to the creed, and there were a group, uh, they called them the Originists, or more commonly we know them as the Semi-Arians, uh, and they developed sort of a hybrid of the other two that didn't agree with either one completely. So... Uh, the church remained fractured, or really was even more fractured than before this council. Um, but that brings us now to Athanasius, and how he's going to continue to defend the Nicene Creed and these ideas, particularly against the semi-Arians, for all of his life. Uh, and that's really the primary focus of our lesson. 
Um, so he had stood, he was a young man, he was among the defenders of orthodox theology at the council. He wasn't anyone prominent yet at that point. Um, in AD 328, he was appointed as Bishop of Alexandria uh, at the recommendation of Alexander, who was the previous bishop who, and, and the same guy that had deposed Arius years before. Alexander, which one? Athanasius? Yes. Athanasius of Alexandria, recommended by Alexander of Alexandria. Really simple. <laughs> yeah, I'd tell you how, but no promises. <laughs> Picture it as a Greek word, though, where you pronounce every, every syllable. Yeah. All right, so Athanasius, in the rising turmoil between the Nicenes and the Semi-Arians, became the primary champion of the Nicenes. Uh, he argued especially about the absolute divinity of Jesus. Uh, he would often turn to verses such as 2 Peter 1.4 for support, which uh, Peter describes Christians in that verse as partakers of the divine nature through Christ Jesus. Athanasius would say, how could we be partakers of the divine nature through Jesus if Jesus himself was not fully God? Uh, he taught also that salvation resulted in the unification of human nature with divine nature, which could only be accomplished if Christ was both fully human and fully God. Uh, as an additional defense of Christ's deity, Athanasius looked to the worship of Jesus, uh, which we see both in scripture and was commonly practiced by the church. He argued that if Jesus is not fully God, then our worship of him would be idolatry. This is true. Now, we know God is a jealous God. He does not share worship with anyone. Uh, and a third defense of Christ's eternal deity came from the scriptural teaching um, that God, the Father, is eternally a father and is unchanging. So, not all of us here have had good fathers or been good fathers, but some of us have. Um, we tend to think of fatherhood as something that results from procreation. You have a child, therefore now you are a father. Um, you know, where you, you gave life where previously there was not life. Um, but that is really just a shadow of what it means for God to be the Father. Athanasius compared God's life-giving fatherhood to a fountain or a spring, uh, which is only a fountain or spring as long as there is continually, as long as it is continually producing water. Uh, the church has long understood that God's fatherhood is one of perpetual, eternal, loving, life-giving. So for this to be true of God, there must be the Trinity. The Father, existing eternally, graciously loving the Son by giving him life in the Spirit, being the source of life. God is unchanging, which means that everything we know about the nature of God is eternal. So God cannot have a point where he wasn't a father. He has always been a loving father, always been gracious, um, which means he could not ever have existed without the Son, because if you have God without the Son, what do you have? You have, uh, if you picture it, if there was somehow a time when there wasn't um, 
There wasn't the Son, there wasn't the Holy Spirit, there wasn't any of creation. If all you had was God, the Father, but not a Father, you would have a lonely God. You would have a God who existed entirely in and of himself, who would have been either fully satisfied with himself and thus have no need to create anything, including the Son or the Spirit, or you'd have a God who had need to create, which means he's not God. So you can't have had a God without the Trinity. Um, Such a God is not one that would be a God of relationship. Uh, He would not be a God that loves or creates things, because why? Uh, He's not a God that you could pray to, even if he did make creation, because he would be so far removed from us that why would he bother to listen to his little creation if he was not a father God? Such a God must either be fully content in himself. Uh, I already read that part. Philosophers often come to the conclusion that such a God must exist. Uh, these, you know, non, Non-Christian philosophers sometimes will go down the logic path of, uh, they call it the origin path. Everything must have an origin, which means somewhere at the beginning of everything must be one being, one source that doesn't have an origin. Um, and Arius actually came to that conclusion and called God, not God the Father, but God the unoriginate. Great for your prayer life, oh heavenly unoriginate, listen to me, you know, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work so well. But, but taking just the logical path, looking at, you know, what we call general revelation, the, the existence of creation, you can conclude that there was a creator, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't give us a connection to him. It doesn't tell us that he's a father. God the Father uh, is revealed to us by Jesus the Son. Uh, and he is eternally the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Individual persons sharing one divine nature. So if Jesus were not also fully eternally God, because he has to be eternally God or or. We're back to God existing without Jesus and not a father. Could I ask a question? Yes. Are we still talking about Athanasius? Defense. Yes, this was something that Athanasius wrote about. You're welcome. Uh, If Jesus were not also fully God, uh, then he could not know God any more than we could. Um, because he would have been created and been separate from God, and he could not reveal God to us any more than what general revelation can. Jesus can reveal God to us uh, because he is God. He, he is, uh, I forget what the verse is, but it says he is the exact imprint of his nature. When we see and know Jesus, we see and know God. Uh, so can you see how, what's that? He is, yeah. These ideas, um, uh, sorry, by these ideas I mean going back to Arius and the idea of the the unoriginate and Jesus being created later and things like that. Uh, Even though they were declared a heresy and and men like Athanasius countered them uh, quite faithfully, they still influenced the church over the centuries. 
Um, I think in particular of the Catholic practice of praying to saints or to Mary instead of directly to God the Father. That's influenced by this separation of God uh, being a father eternally. This idea that he's sort of somehow still unapproachable, still separate from us, and we need uh, an intermediate person to get us to God. And that Jesus isn't that person because maybe he wasn't fully divine either. Uh, But a right understanding of God as Father makes it clear that we are his adopted children in Christ Jesus the Son. And so we have direct access to him uh, in fatherly love. Pretty incredible to think about. God the Father wants to hear from us because he has adopted us, because we are his sons and daughters. But a rejection of Jesus as the eternal God, as the Son of God, leads to uh, every kind of heresy, from Sabellianism, where there's only one being, to Arianism, to what we saw with Islam or Mormonism. All of those share the same common fault among many others, of rejecting Jesus as being eternally divine, the Son of God. Uh, And there are many other heresies that that also fall into that category. So liar, lord, lunatic, or legend. If you're familiar with that quote, it comes from... um, I'm spacing on it now. My mind went to Mark Twain, but that's not it. Um, (laughs) What's that? Lewis, thank you. Yes. C.S. Lewis. Yes. Um, I'm sure Bob will show us next week. Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be the Son of God. uh, And by implication, he claimed to be fully God himself. His testimony about himself is confirmed by the works that God gave him to accomplish and in the scriptures. Uh, he says this in John 5:36 through 40. I'd like to read through that. Uh, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John the Baptist, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So not only did Jesus testify about himself that he was God, but his works, his miracles testify that he was God. His work in salvation testifies that he is God, and God has testified that he is God. Uh, And now for us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us testifying that Jesus is God. Uh, We even know uh, from Scripture there was audible testimony from the Father that Jesus was God. We saw it at the baptism when he said, this is my beloved Son, and again at the transfiguration uh, where he declares Jesus to be his beloved Son. So thanks to the defense uh, given by Athanasius throughout all his life, we have a better understanding of Jesus' deity today. Any questions? Besides how to spell Athanasius. (laughs) That's right. 
I told Danny there would be a quiz, so I'll come up with some questions real quick. <laughs> I don't get it. What? Eh. The Aryan Nation. There's just a whole bunch of uh, people that claim to be Aryan Nation, white supremacists, white supremacists that came out of Northern Ireland. Oh. They call themselves the Aryan Nation. I thought that was Northern Germany, right? <laughs> it still is. Yeah. And then Southern Idaho got the. Mormons and Utah got the Mormons. Mm. I know. We'll get there. If you're here in ten years, we'll get to the Mormons. <laughs> so many cults and so little time. Yes. <laughs> so what were so maybe at the beginning I might have missed part of that. What was the Aryan? What 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 is that? Arius, is it? Arius? Arius, or, I mean, you were talking about Arius. Yeah. So. He was a, declared to be a heretical teacher um, in Libya in 300. Were you here for that part? Uh, the singing choirs, the street battles, you were here for that. Oh, the street yeah. Yeah. And he actually was, like I said, he was countering, he was countering a heresy, the Sabellian heresy. So he thought he was defending the church and developing doctrine here. And the church said, no, you still got it wrong. Good. But then that somehow got over to Arians? Like that was, you said semi-Arians? Yeah, so his, the teachings of Arius were called Arianism. I'm not sure we're not Ariusism. Maybe it didn't flow off the tongue that well. Um, so the Arians, and then um, the hybrid that came after the council, um, they were called the semi-Arians. Because they were... I don't yeah. think they're related. No. no. <clears throat> One of the bigger practitioners of the Aryan heresy would be what Jehovah's Witnesses, the deny the deity of Christ. That's that's the big. I don't know what the Aryans believe or don't believe religiously. You know, um, some of them might even claim to be Christian. They, they do. So they claim to be like the core group of um, like purified. That's why I was saying that it seems like it's got to be tied in there somewhere. I'm going to need a full study on the Aryan Nation in a week or two. All right. Kenan will be teaching Sunday school, a full lesson on the Aryan Nation in a week or two. If he doesn't have a shaved head, we're not going to believe him. All right, well, let's pray. We're a little early, but um, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your church, for your faithfulness and preserving your church, for your love, especially as we see that you are eternally a father, God, that you uh, love us, that you've adopted us as your children too, and that we get to uh, share in that love that you have for the Son. 
Thank you for Jesus, for his work in redeeming us, bringing us into fellowship with you, uh, for your word that's been preserved through the centuries and uh, the historical sources as well, God, that all just continue to confirm and glorify your plan of salvation through all of history, Lord. Ask for the service today that you would be with Bob as he brings a message that you would speak through him, soften our hearts to hear and uh, conform us into the image of your son, that the worship would edify and glorify you, God, uh, that our fellowship would be uh, one filled with love, that others may see that we are your people, Lord. Ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.